Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. It is Mega Bedlam Pod time, Colby. We got a Mega Pod plan for our listeners. Mega Bedlam Pod. Me, you, our good friend Eddie Radosevich, uh, talking a little OU with us. My mom, your dad. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, Bedlam Weeks are uh, about to be a thing of the past. So I guess we'll enjoy them while they're still around. Yeah, who knows how many we'll have left. And uh, I didn't tease that Eddie was coming on the pod earlier this week because he's he's been sick with the flu. He's got influenza A, which I had the week of the Thunders game against Utah getting canceled and then COVID happened. And I swear I had the flu for like 10 days. And it just, I felt like I got hit by a train. So, but Eddie's, Eddie's a trooper. He says he's going to the game on Saturday regardless. So... Lesser men would just stay home on the couch, but Eddie Ratto is powering through for the podcast, and he's powering through for Soonerscoop.com and the, and the franchise 107.7. He's a he's a trooper, and uh, having our parents on has been a kind of a, a fun tradition. I, I think I'm going to call it the airing of grievances with our uh, with our parents. They can they can come on. You know, usually they they admonish uh, Mike Gundy for being too conservative in this game, or perhaps some play calling issues and. It's just kind of fun to get their perspective on Bedlam, who who have been in it much longer than, than you and I. Yeah, it is. And I think um, having my mom, mom, my mom on, especially last year, kind of gave people a little peek into how I am, <laughs> the way I am, uh, a little animated from time to time, uh, get on my, my Homer box a little bit from time to time, get all that from my mom. So looking forward to having her on again. I have no doubt uh, that – I'm sure she thinks that these two teams are probably 30 to 40 points apart, if I had to guess. Yep. I mean, I'm sorry. I got a text message. Uh, I didn't hear what you said there at the end. Oh, yeah. No, just uh, my mom. I'm looking forward to having her on. I think that she probably sees about a 30 to 40 point difference between these two teams, if I had to guess. Assuming the refs don't get in the way. Yeah. I mean, I think she's probably more concerned about the the officiating than than how much OSU will win by. But I'll, I'm interested to get her take. and. She's passionate and she knows her stuff too. I was really impressed watching the game with her. She she knows exactly what she's talking about, and it was, uh, it'll be interesting to hear her. And my dad, uh, he he probably just wants to see the brand on the helmet. That's probably mostly what he cares about. He probably just expects OSU to lose because they usually do in this matchup. But we'll get all of their perspectives, and Eddie will hop on here in just a few minutes. But Colby, I wanted to hit on a few things, just kind of setting the stage for this ball game, and. It's remarkable that OSU has a chance to win back-to-back bedlams, and it's remarkable that that's only happened five times ever in 32 and 33, uh, 1944 and 45, 65, 66, 97, 98. Tony Lindsay and, and Bob Simmons won three out of four against Oklahoma. And then, of course, we all remember the 2001, 2002 Rashawn Woods in the, in the fade route and then the Rashawn Woods still open game. So Josh Fields, Tony Lindsay, the last two quarterbacks, Colby, to win back-to-back Bedlam games. Spencer Sanders has a chance to do that. And besides that, just OSU football has a chance to just win back-to-back Bedlam games for just the sixth time. This is this is a massive opportunity. I know both teams, Colby, don't come into this highly ranked. There's no Big 12 championship on the line for the first time in a long while. But still, 
you want to beat Oklahoma and and doing so in back-to-back years would, would truly be historic based on those numbers. Yeah, it would. It's uh, crazy to think about Josh Fields and Tony Lindsay, the last two Oklahoma State quarterbacks to win back-to-back. I mentioned it last week, earlier in the week, whenever it was. I'm like, Carson, we just need a winning streak. Two is a winning streak, and Oklahoma State, look, Bethlehem has not been very kind to Cowboy fans. Uh, We know OU football many years has been a juggernaut, and, you know, that's a good football team. There there was a long stretch there in the Stoops era, uh, and then even the Lincoln-Riley era, not very many schools in the Big 12 were beating Oklahoma. They've come back down to earth in a big, big way, Carson. This is the worst OU team that's taken the field uh, in quite some time. I, boy, you just, you have to go win this one if you're Mike Gundy. I, I know Oklahoma State is a touchdown dog in this game. I, I know that Oklahoma State's not taking the 2011 team in there. Oklahoma State's not taking the 2021 team in there. This is a good, not great Oklahoma State team, but man, this is the worst OU team that's been out there in 25 years. You have to go win this game in Norman, Carson. It has been curious, though. The, the point spread has climbed. It opened at about around five, five and a half. It's up to, as you mentioned, seven and a half. Like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, Colby. The only thing I could possibly see is, you know, Vegas, you know, OU is a very much a public team, even though they are five and five. And, and the general public has watched OU win this game in their minds every single year. They don't probably remember the times that OSU won, even though they did last year. And if they do remember, they probably viewed that as an anomaly. That's just kind of what OU does in this game. Uh, what do you make of the point spread? Because I, I find that to be incredibly way off, and even by Vegas standards, which always kind of scares you a little bit. Yeah, you know, Carson, I often try to connect dots with Vegas lines. I'm not sure what I'm seeing here. I, I mean, is it just the logo? Is that all it is? Because, Carson, we know Oklahoma State is the best Power 5 school against the spread. They are the absolute best against the spread during Gundy's tenure. It's it's a lack of respect for Oklahoma State nationally that I think goes into it because the sports books in Vegas, they know that Oklahoma State doesn't get respected nationally. They know how Oklahoma State is talked about around the country. Uh, I mean, somebody messaged me just earlier today with a, a back and forth that they saw uh, where a Big Ten fan was saying that Illinois, Maryland, and Minnesota are on roughly the same level as Baylor, Kansas, and Oklahoma State this year. That's kind of how people view Oklahoma State. Um, Now, they haven't been paying attention because over the last 15 years, Oklahoma State's been one of the 15 best programs in the entire country, but people aren't paying attention. So I think part of it is Vegas knows that regardless of how bad OU is, they're respected around the country because of the logo on the side of their helmet. Regardless of how good Oklahoma State is, they're not really respected around the country because of the logo on the side of their helmet. It is narratives in college football are so slow to catch up with reality. Carson, I would swear to you that Paul Feinbaum has not watched a college football game in five years that was not played by Alabama, Georgia, or Ohio State. I don't think he watches the games. I don't think I don't think you get on TV, give those opinions, and respect yourself if you were watching the games. So I, I think it's just a lack of respect for Oklahoma State. I've kind of gotten to the point where, man, NFL stuff, I, I, I try to read into the lines and everything, but Carson, Oklahoma State consistently dominates uh, against the spread. So I, I think if you're an Oklahoma State fan, most of the time you just throw that number out uh, and hope that this team is once again better than Vegas expects it to be. Yeah, and I think part of it has to do with Spencer Sanders. Like, he, he look, we all know he said he's playing. Maybe some of that point spread has to do with the uncertainty of how effective he will be. I, I certainly think home field gives you usually about three points in an even matchup, which I think it is. 
the the doubts surrounding Spencer Sanders. And really, even if he plays Colby, like as banged up as he is, it only in their minds it probably just takes one hit to to knock him out of the game. So I think maybe that's baked into it. But I certainly agree with you about the perception. I, I loved Mike Gundy taking a shot at Feinbaum when they asked him why Bedlam was in prime time. He's like, look, I just want to make Feinbaum look stupid because he is. He didn't do his research. <laughs> I mean, Bedlam averages five million viewers every single year. And that's up there with that's only surpassed Colby by Ohio State, Michigan. You know, the biggest games of the year, that's that type of number. That's what this rivalry has meant to the Big 12, to college football, and certainly to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. And and I'm sure the TV networks will probably try to figure out a way to get Bedlam back on the schedule because that's that's big time viewership. And it's between two big time football programs, even if they're both struggling uh, this year. So, and one more interesting thing, Colby, I wanted to bring up, and, and we've talked about this before, but it's still worth reiterating how remarkable this statistic is. Mike Gundy is 3-15 and 15 in Bedlam, a worse winning percentage than all other Cowboy coaches combined. His winning percentage is .167, everyone else .199. It literally defies logic and science and anything we know about this earth that Mike Gundy leading the most successful tenure of Oklahoma State football ever, somehow, some way, in games he's been favored in this matchup, has a worse winning percentage than every other coach in OSU's history. And that that includes a ton of years, Colby. You know, Blinken Riley's on Twitter again with his his annual, you know, Bedlam Facts threads with all the numbers of how dominant OU's been in this series. That includes Colby. OSU wasn't trying to win at football for the first hundred years. They didn't invest any money into it. Uh, they didn't try to keep their successful coaches. They literally were not trying. And still, all those coaches have a better winning percentage than Mike Gundy. It's just, it bears repeating, Colby, how much that defies logic. Yeah, it really does. It, it's like every... Mike Gundy is the best coach in Oklahoma State history. Bar none. Don't know if there will ever be a better one. His success has been through the roof, uh, considering where he took this program over, where Oklahoma State is ranked nationally in terms of recruiting budget and things of that, things of that nature. Um, yeah, the worst, the worst Bedlam performer is your best coach. It doesn't make any sense. It defies all logic. Um, it, it, it seems like he has gotten very tight in years past. I don't know what to what to make of it, Carson. I, I go into this game. Uh, I said a couple of years ago, I said I'm not picking Oklahoma State to win Bedlam until they just show me that they can do it again. Because you had the double punt game in 14, you had 11, but man, that was it until last year. And I'm like, look, I'm just going to blindly pick OU every year until OSU shows me something, Mike Gundy shows me something. Uh, they showed a lot to me last year in Stillwater. I thought that was one of the better coached Bedlam games that we've seen in a long time. Uh, and I'm hoping we get more of that tomorrow in Norman because going into a shell uh, and just playing scared, hoping that it's within a, a possession with three minutes to go and you you make the one last play, man, I, I don't want to see that tomorrow. I, I think Oklahoma State's the better team and I really hope that uh, they go down there and coach like it, coach aggressively and try to win by three touchdowns instead of by three points with three seconds left because that's just a dangerous game uh, that they seem to play year in and year out whenever the teams are close in Bedlam. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm hoping that the coaching is aggressive, fast, and loose from the opening kickoff. Yeah, I hope so. Again, we're going to have Eddie Rodosovich hop on here in a few minutes. We're doing this on Zoom, and I just told him to come in 
at his convenience. The, the flu boy, he's, his his Jordan flu game is occurring on the pod. So when he hops on here, we'll bring him on. And to to your point, Colby, I, I just I keep getting flashbacks to 2020 OSU with Spencer Sanders. They were really playing well. Their defense was coming around going into that matchup. It was supposed to be a competitive ball game with Spencer Sanders going down to Norman. And the game plan was, you know, heavy personnel, a lot of cowboy back, mainly just two wide outs running very long, slow developing routes, uh, very predictable to the point where Teddy Lehman after the game on the radio was he could not believe the game plan that OSU was attempting to win the game with. He's like, that's playing directly into Oklahoma's hands. And I think anytime this game comes around, you know, and there's been moments where where Mike Gundy and his staff have really cut loose. I think to the the cornball game in Norman, I think to the 2017 game. Like they 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 pulled out all the stops in some of those matchups. But there's been other cases and it's typically Colby when either they don't trust their offensive line or that they just come in there with some real concerns about things and play not to lose and run an offense that, frankly, Teddy Lehman could not believe they were attempting to run and, and try to win the football game. So that, I'm getting flashbacks to that, Colby, and that's that's one of my main concerns. If they're worried about Spencer putting him at risk, not letting him run, just kind of saying, let's let's hold the line here, let's extend this game, that that spells disaster, and it spells a lot like the, the dominant uh, game we saw in 2020 for OU. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. They've got to trust Spencer. It's kind of what I talked about last week on that last offensive possession of the game. They brought him out there. They trusted him to to go get him the lead, but I didn't feel like they trusted him to ice it at the end, to put it away. You've got to trust him, man. If he's out there, he said it last week, He he's too competitive. Um, I, I've been saying for weeks, Spencer's playing Bedlam. He's not going to miss Bedlam. It means too much to him. I do think it means too much to him. And, and I think Carson it's a big advantage that Oklahoma state has in this game is that whenever they walk out that tunnel, every single one of them is following one guy. They all know who the leader is. They feed off his toughness. They feed off his energy. There's a clear leader for Oklahoma state. I don't know who that guy is for Oklahoma. And I really want to ask Eddie because um, I think that that matters. I think the on-field leadership of Spencer Sanders and the absence of that on the OU side, I think that really matters. Uh, So if you're going to play him, you have to let him be Spencer. You have to let him cook. You can't be trying to protect him. If he wants to be out there, then be out there uh, and and go be everything that you can be, the Spencer Sanders that we've come to expect uh, and, and the Spencer Sanders that we love watching play. So hopefully that is the guy that we get tomorrow, and hopefully the coaching staff allows him to be that guy. Speaking of leaders, we have Eddie Radosevich from Soonerscoop.com on with this, 107.7 The Franchise, the leader of the Make Lindsay Street Great Again campaign, leader of Horns up for peace. Did I leave any other other titles out there, Eddie, other than uh, Michael Jordan flu game going on with you right now? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think you covered everything. How you guys? How, how you guys doing? It's been a minute. Uh, I just I I have to get something off of my chest. I just returned from Jimmy John's, where <laughs> I was told they were out of bread. Can't happen. Wow. I thought the guy was kidding. And so I like I just continued to order. And he's like, sir, we're out of bread right now. And I just kind of looked up in disbelief. Like that was my first like. Emergence back into society in a way. (laughs) And it didn't go well. And I just got to get off my chest. And I think it's amazing that a sandwich company ran out of bread. 
That's like uh, McDonald's running out of hamburgers. I mean, exactly. It'd be like going to McDonald's and saying they're out of fries. Did Elon Musk take over your local Jimmy John's? What happened here? I don't know. (laughs) It's 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 one of the locations downtown Oklahoma City, though. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to make a big stink about it on social media, but I just found it amazing. Like I I walked out and just like almost disbelief. It was like uh, it was like people were yelling at me as I was walking out. Are you sure you don't want anything? I was just like, I can't talk to any of you people right now. This is amazing. You didn't want to do like the lettuce wrapped sandwich? Like no, the I'm getting I'm getting an effing sandwich. I'm going <laughs> somewhere to get a sandwich. I want bread and food. It's been uh, it's been a week, boys. I haven't really eaten a whole lot of like real meals. So yeah. uh, we're slowly but surely getting back into it. Well, we're, what are we we're doing it's been a minute. Everybody really pumped up for this big bedlam matchup. I tell you what, like. I, I think I speak for Colby, like for us, for Oklahoma State fans, like the opportunity to just win this game is exciting, no matter the records. Now, it's it's certainly changed from the days where, you know, OSU was had a losing record and, and just wanted to spoil things for Oklahoma. They obviously have a better record this year, but just the opportunity to win this game when when Mike Gundy really hasn't done so very much is is exciting on our side of things. I'm sure you guys are way more concerned with just the overall direction of the program right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's kind of one of those things. It's like I, I think that you can be disappointed with the season uh, and then also kind of wonder what the direction of the program is. But on like it's like bigger, like like it's like one of those um, like picture books or something that you can like look in like a big picture and then you look in a little bit closer and then a little bit closer and then a little bit closer. Uh, you know, I, I think overall. Everybody is, you know, obviously shocked, disappointed with how the season's turned out. Uh, you know, they they come back and come back from Morgantown, which is top three, 100 percent most miserable games I've ever covered. I've ever been at, uh, you know, the, the, the play on the field, the weather, everything just kind of culminated into just a miserable afternoon up there. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. They're not a, they're a very. Uh, mediocre football team. They're a very uh, kind of mediocre program right now, just as far as the way things are going. And there's been a bunch of speed bumps that I think some people thought were going to just be, uh, you know, I guess in a way just kind of taken care of because Brent Venables and his track record and what he, uh, you know, kind of stands for. And it's been anything but like they're one of the most undisciplined teams, uh, you know, in the country, Uh, you know, anytime that they're given momentum in a game, uh, they find a way to throw it right back in, in a fashion in which not only do they throw it back, but it uh, it usually benefits the other team. And, uh, you know, in three of the five losses this year, they've had a chance in the fourth quarter and, you know, kind of the last six, seven, eight minutes to uh, to go win the football game. They haven't been able to do so. So, uh, you know, I, definitely some areas that Oklahoma has just been able to get away with over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I think it's a culmination of a lot of things as far as what they were able to get away with over the last four or five years. And they're really having to try to dig themselves out of those holes right now. And, uh, you know, obviously the quarterback play, you know, Dylan Gabriel hasn't just been uh, great, but he hasn't been just terrible either. And I think that that's Oklahoma fans. Biggest problem is that they don't have an elite quarterback for the first time in a long time. And, uh, you know, they're really starting to have to pay 
you know, the price for it a little bit. And obviously the, the, the other side of that is a defense that has uh, been flat out terrible. So, uh, you know, that's nothing new. They've just been able to get away with it for so long. Uh, it's been kind of uh, fascinating to watch here over the, over the course of the, the first 10 games of the year. So anybody expecting Oklahoma to, uh, you know, sadly enough to be consistent in a way, I think you're just you're asking too much. I mean, they played 10 games. They are what they are. Uh, yeah, that's more than fair, Eddie. I, I do want to talk about that OU defense. Oklahoma State has had an immense amount of trouble running the football this year, just lining up, controlling the line of scrimmage uh, and moving the rock on the ground. Now, I've heard rumors out of Norman that they really struggled to stop the run. Big rumors going around, Eddie. <laughs> Some, something's got to give, it seems like, tomorrow night in Norman. Uh, does it just kind of even out in the middle? Do you, do you think that... OU has enough up front to stop what is probably the worst run offense against the worst run defense in the conference. And Eddie, I just have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow night. Whenever Oklahoma state has the ball on offense, I have no idea who's going to control the line of scrimmage. Any, any feel on your part uh, as to whether one of those units being poor will help the other side in a big way that could potentially could potentially uh, be game changing. It's amazing. It, it really is. It's like those two units are so, so bad. And you keep like expecting, like keep waking up on a Saturday to expect like, OK, well, maybe this is the week that they're going to at least have some type of resistance up front. And they just don't. Uh, I I'm kind of like you guys. I have no idea what to expect. Uh, you know, Oklahoma has been, I guess, in a way like Iowa State, for instance, they're really good against the run against Iowa State in, uh, in Ames. Uh, they held him to, I think, under uh, it was 29 yards in the first half, did a seemingly pretty damn good job. And like that was one of those moments where it's like, OK, well, maybe this defense is starting to play a little bit. And then, uh, you know, the next couple of weeks when they when they've played really good offensive lines and teams that actually can run the football, they've had a really tough tr uh, time trying to stop it when they've played against teams that can't run the football, uh, they've been able to find a way to at least put some type of stop gap up. So I don't know, like as, as poorly as Oklahoma State's run the football this year, I think that you look at it and you go, well, maybe they're going to have a chance. But then again, like, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is if, if Oklahoma State was healthy, if they were just flat out healthy and they didn't have the problems that they've had here over the last couple of weeks, I think OSU wins this game by, you know, two touchdowns. That's that's how bad or how down I am on Oklahoma. But then you look up and like Vegas. I don't know what that number's all about. I still don't know what that number's all about. I don't know why it hasn't moved all week. Uh, I don't know. Like they've it's been. They owe you defensively will give you, and this has kind of been their biggest problem. They've give, they'll give you two or three really good plays in a series. And then you get them into fourth and short. And I like, I have no, no reason to think that like my gun, should go for it. Every opportunity that it gets fourth and short, third and short, go for it as many times as possible, because you're going to eventually hit one. And anytime that this defense has found a little bit of, of adversity, um, you know, you can go back to last week, whether it be the the third and 16 where they can't get off the field and then West Virginia converts the fourth and 10 um, or the, you know, the fake uh, fake punt on fourth and seven. And they were able to get off the field. They just make so many stupid mistakes at the worst, most inopportune time uh, that they shoot themselves in the foot. 
And uh, so to answer your question, do I think Oklahoma is going to be able to stop Oklahoma State running uh, the football tomorrow night? I, I think that they'll have some success. But if you keep at it against this Oklahoma defense, it seems like they find ways to break themselves. And you would think that Spencer Sanders, uh, you know, however what percentage he's going to be, uh, you know, I think like a 70% Spencer Sanders probably better than a 85 or a 90% Garrett Green like they saw in Morgantown last week. I mean, my God. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of play that game of run versus pass and how much how aggressive they want to be because there will be some spots where they can go down the field. And, you know, talking about leadership, it's like I think everybody points to uh, Justin Broyles and God love him. I mean, I think everybody kind of knows what that situation's like. Like, he's the heart and soul of that defense, but is that necessarily really a good thing? And I, I hate saying it that way. I like Justin. It just, uh, they are very, uh, very maligned on that side of the football. Yeah, and I, on the flip side, though, you know, you got Eric Gray, who is, you know, the fastest to 1,000 yards at Oklahoma since Adrian Peterson in 04. He's been just a real bright spot. And and you guys were talking on the Sooner Scoop podcast, primarily Kerry, early in the year, and I completely agreed with it that, I thought he was more of a third down back and Javante Barnes should be the feature back or Marcus Major. It seemed like there were better options to be a feature back. And he has really, Eddie, just completely changed the the narrative and flipped the script where he is by far OU's best player, uh, the, the heart and soul of the offense. I mean, he ran for 200 yards and the rest of the team couldn't figure out a way to win against West Virginia. Oklahoma State's run defense, and this is where I think the the, the point spread comes into play, their run defense has been as bad as Oklahoma's the last three, four weeks. And you got Eric Gray sitting there with an offensive line that's been pretty good. Not as good as OU's been in the past, but still pretty good at times. I think that's, Eddie, where the point spread comes into play. Just they're going to be able to run the ball, I think, more efficiently and, and more sustainably than, than Oklahoma State. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if uh, Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel and those guys can stay patient enough to run the football. Uh, because they have been able to, you know, I, it, it's not a coincidence that, you know, their most experienced group right now is the offensive line. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Andrew Rame going into the week. Uh, you know, if he can't go at center, he got hurt up in Morgantown. Robert Conjure will be the guy. But Eric Gray has been unbelievable. Like it's, uh, you know, I think Levy said it best after the game uh, last weekend in Morgantown was just the fact that, it's unfortunate that the guys played so well and you can't celebrate anything because they lose. And, you know, who the hell would know where this offense would be if uh, Eric Gray wouldn't be bailing him out? Uh, it, it's almost like in the in the moments when this offense finds uh, when they when they find their troubles or when they can't like convert a fourth and one because they have to give the ball to somebody else is because, my God, you can't give the ball to Eric Gray 13 straight consecutive times without getting him off the field for a breather. So uh, he's been unbelievable. He's been really, really good. I think he's made a little bit of money. I don't know. I'm not sure where he ends up going into the draft, but um, he has been a bright spot in what has been, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of negativity, certainly around the offense. And, uh, you know, it's hard to look at the offense and say that they are the reason why Oklahoma is five and five right now. They've surely played a part in it. Uh, but, you know, Eric Gray has been a bright spot in what has, uh, you know, been a, a really tough year offensively at times for Oklahoma, and especially, uh, you know, in those TCU and Texas games when they don't even have Dylan Gabriel on the field. Uh, it's it, It's been 
pretty fun to watch. He's he's a lot of fun to watch uh, run the football, and they've been able to find a lot of success uh, on the ground and being able to run the football. It's just when they when they have to go to something else, when everybody knows that you're running the football, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, Dylan Gabriel throws a really good ball and Marvin Mims drops it or Marvin Mims runs a really good route and Dylan Gabriel doesn't hit him. So it's just been the inconsistencies and, uh, you know, talking to the players on Monday night, I think that's the most frustrating thing for them is that they feel like, uh, you know, they've shot themselves in the foot time and time again, whether you go back to the Kansas State game with the 11 pre-snap penalties, uh, which is just like even the further away you get away from it. It's like that is just it's so obnoxious to think about. Uh, and then even the Baylor game, it's like they had multiple opportunities to pull away in that game uh, or at least assert themselves and get a, maybe a two score lead. And they just don't. They can't find a way to have that killer instinct. So, uh, you know, look into Saturday. It's like. Sure, I think Oklahoma can stay in the football game. They can move the football, though. They're, they're going to be able to find ways, but they have shown time and time again that they can't win close football games and to say that they're going to find a way to do it in the 11th game of the season, I think it'd be a little bit uh, almost naive to think that it's just going to all of a sudden happen for them. Uh, it's it, it's wild, though. Like, find two teams more in the country that if something happens to the quarterback, they are <laughs> effed. Like, I, it, it's insane to, to talk about just as far as, like, just how important Dylan Gabriel and Spencer Sanders are to both of these clubs. No, you're absolutely right. And I I was talking earlier, Eddie, when Oklahoma State runs out of the tunnel tomorrow, every single guy knows who they're following onto the field, and that's Spencer Sanders. I think his on-field leadership was evident last week. He comes in at the end of the third quarter against Iowa State, and you you just felt it, almost on both sidelines. I thought Iowa State started to get tentative defensively. They were backing off guys. I I just – I really see his on-field leadership, uh, and I think that that matters immensely. OU has had that guy for a long time, especially at the quarterback position. I don't know, Eddie, who is that guy for OU right now? Do they have an on-field leader, one guy that everybody else is following out there? Because I went on another podcast earlier in the week, and I asked that question uh, to their three hosts, and all three of them gave me a different answer. Does OU have that guy? Yeah, I, I think that the fact that I would have to probably sit here and tell you that they have a handful of guys probably tells you everything, doesn't it? Like, I, you know, over the last couple of years, you could say Baker or Kyler or Jalen uh, or even, you know, Kenneth Murray on the defensive side of the football. I think that like this group is still developing that identity. And I think that, uh, you know, they've relied on so long. They've relied on the offense to bail everybody out that, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of fragile guys on the defensive side of the football. I think that there's a lot of uh, guys that just kind of are waiting around for something to happen. And then I think that there's a lot of guys that are leaders on the football team that probably necessarily aren't the guys that you would want to turn to uh, because they're just not not the best football players. And I think that's kind of the identity uh, that 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 this group is going through right now. Uh, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people would want it to be, you know, undoubtedly uh, be doing Gabriel. But at the same time, he's had his faults at times. He's been inconsistent. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's hard for me to answer that. I like, I, I, I think that you couldn't point to one guy like Reggie Grimes is somebody that would come and speak to the media. He's, he's somebody that I think is comfortable in the leadership role, but he hasn't really done a whole lot over the last, uh, let's say seven games to be fair. Like his, his biggest impact were in the first three games of the season when you're walking out of Lincoln thinking, all right, this team's, 
maybe going to be pretty damn good. Uh, so yeah, like it's been kind of the, the buck gets kind of passed to somebody else each time. And I think that that in itself is a little bit of a problem. Uh, and you know, I think they're trying to develop a foundation within of what Brent Venables is trying to, to, to have, but then again, the coaching staff probably isn't, uh, completely innocent in all of this either with some of the decisions they made in Morgantown. So. Uh, it's been kind of a shit show, guys. Like, I it it kind of is what it is. Like, I, everybody's seen it. I don't think that like you really have to make excuses for anybody. It it is what it is, and uh, they've kind of dug themselves this hole that they're going to have to dig out of and find a way to win one of the next two games if they want to go bowling. And I I think everybody knows how important uh you know at least getting those fifteen practices is uh in uh you know in December if not actually playing in a in some BS bowl game. I've, I've said for a long time, they need to get the bowl practices in and then everybody gets COVID and you call the bowl game and say, hey, sorry, we can't make it. <laughs> Just to get that streak, keep that streak going. Uh, right. Eddie, last question for you. You've been a trooper. Uh, you have great flu game performance. Thank you. Uh, and then we'll get you. your pick after this question. But I got to think, Eddie, a lot of people in Norman's confidence has been really shaken uh, with Brent Venables. Look, we all... We all like the hire. Everyone in Norman loved the hire. He, he said all the right things. We, But the one area that they're really struggling is the one area you thought in year one he could shore up, which is discipline, toughness, and, and playing sound football. 100%. And that's like the exact opposite that they've done. So two-part question, how how much are the is the administration in Norman kind of shaken by this season? How much time will he be given? And then kind of tell us how you see this game playing out. Yeah, Shaken, I don't know about shaken, obviously disappointed. Uh, you know, I you can't be running off five and fives or five and sevens or you know, six and sixes, you know, for the next year. Uh, they need to find some some form, some manner of improvement. Uh you know, I, I think that it's it's certainly something that, you know, if the ball bounces one way or another and they find a ways to win a couple games, uh, you know, this is revisionist history. But if if they're going, say they would have won like a, just, we'll give them one of the Baylor or one of the uh, the Kansas State home games. Uh, you know, I, I think that people would be able to kind of live with themselves if they were seven and four right now, uh, but they're not. And I or yeah, six and four. They're not, though, and they haven't been able to make those plays and the discipline has been a problem. So I think everybody kind of knew that it was, uh, you know, obviously to get the foundation in, it was going to take some time. I don't think anybody in you know their wildest dreams would have thought this was going to be as bad as it is right now, because that's what they are like. They are they're not a very good football team. And, uh, you know, I think even probably if you put a true serum in, in Brent Venables. He's a little bit shocked and embarrassed with how this thing has come together. So, um, you know, he's going to get time. Uh, you know, they're going to, if they can keep this recruiting class together, if they can finish with the top 10 class and, you know, in somehow, some way, I guess, thankfully, Texas A&M is a bigger laughing stock right now with what they have going on in College Station. Uh, you know, that doesn't make anybody in Norman field necessarily better, but might be able to cherry pick a couple of recruits from uh, from A&M. You know, they got David Hicks coming in this weekend. If they can close out this recruiting class, that will in its in and of itself kind of save things. 
Uh, you know, obviously it's not going to make anything uh, record wise, make anybody feel any better, but they will be able to uh, kind of salvage this season. And you go into 2020, 23, where you're going to have to win some football games. Like you can't be embarrassed down at the Cotton Bowl. You can't be embarrassed at home. Uh, and, you know, obviously that goes without saying, we'll see what happens on Saturday in Bedlam. You can't be embarrassed by another rival. So uh, they've, they've done a lot of firsts this year. Uh, in Brent Venable's first year. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of those firsts, uh, they go back to 1998, which was not a good year for Oklahoma. So um, they got to figure it out. I, I think that's probably the best way to say it. I, I, I am truly at a coin flip right now. I think that I might say, I don't know, maybe, like I told you guys, if Oklahoma State was healthy, I've just been so surprised by like, I guess just their ineptness at times. And by no means, like I'm, I'm very well versed in that. I've, I've been watching Oklahoma play football all year this, uh, this season. Uh, that's very fair. Yeah. I, I hear I, you. Like it's going to be a, a typical bedlam game, like turnovers, who makes the big play in special teams. And, you know, I guess who, what quarterback makes the most plays. And, uh, you know, I guess I kind of throw it back to you guys without like, really truly answering the question like has anybody been able to explain what's going on with spencer sanders no no we don't we still don't even really know what's wrong with him like i'm sitting up in the press box in morgantown i was like so he's he's playing in the fourth quarter like trammell's like yeah he's back in and i was like i have no idea what's going on there and i get it like if you just wanted to get him healthy but i don't know the whole thing's strange weird maybe OU finds a way to win kicks a field goal at the end but if you were to tell me that uh OU is going to go out there turn the ball over three times like they did against Baylor not be able to convert a couple fourth and shorts and OSU wins you know with a late touchdown to win by 10 I'd be like yeah that that sounds about right so well it's bedlam so OU will will pull a rabbit out of your, you know what it's it's typically what happens and we're we're waiting for that to happen but i give you this nickname eddie you know brent kept trumpeting team 128 team 128 i think you can start calling them team since 1998 team since 1998 cuz that, that That's number pretty just good keeps i wish i would have thought about that i, can, I wish i would have thought of that feel free to tweet that out no i love that uh yeah you know it's kind of funny haven't heard uh, old Team 128 referenced a whole lot here over the last God, few we months. heard it plenty in the preseason. So, yeah, <laughs> Eddie, thanks for joining us, man. We know you're sick and fighting through it. And uh, get some rest tonight because it's going to be a late, cold night uh, down in Norman. And uh, thanks for your time, buddy. And let's catch up soon once you're on, once you're back to full health and find some bread. Thanks, Absolutely, Eddie. boys. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to go in search of a sandwich. I appreciate it. Talk to you guys soon. See Bye, ya. Buddy. See you later. That's Eddie Radosevich from Soonerscoop.com and 107.7 The Franchise. And Colby, I think we have a special guest waiting in the wings. Kim, your mother. We're uh, going to admit her into the uh, the Zoom room. So we're just going to keep things rolling with our guests. We'll let Kim get her audio situation sorted out. But uh, it was good hearing from Eddie. And and Kim, I was, I was telling Colby on one of our previous podcasts, I really appreciate the hospitality. Uh, you have an amazing spread there. And uh, it was really fun watching the football game with the uh, the Powell clan the other night. Well, you're welcome anytime. It was great. And um, how are we feeling about Bedlam, Kim? I mean, it's been a weird season. Uh, they're coming off that just bizarre win over Iowa State where Spencer Sanders comes in the game. But every time this game rolls around, Kim, I, I'm sure you're this. You're, you're similar to me. I just I start to think of all the 
things that could go wrong and in and, and ways in which Oklahoma State could lose the game. But rarely do we come into this game, Kim, with OU five and five. So I don't I don't know how you're how you're feeling about it. Right. I I'm I'm feeling pretty good, I have to say. Um if if the defense that played against Texas and the defense that played against Iowa State shows up tomorrow, I think it's going to be a slaughter. Um, if the defense that showed up in Kansas, both Kansas games shows up, I don't know what's going to happen because that was as bad of a defense as OU has. And I've never seen as bad of a defense as OU has <laughs> this year. So um, if, if if our defense that played last week shows up, I, I think we're going to win. I feel good about it. Uh, Spencer, if he's healthy, which he looked pretty good. You know, you have to admit when he came in last weekend, we were kind of sputtering downhill. And the minute Spencer came in, it just gave the whole team a boost. Like the the receivers ran faster. The running backs ran better. The the offensive line played better. It was amazing what happened and the different, like a, like a switch flipped when he came in that game last week. So if he's healthy and playing good and our defense is up to par, then I'm not going to worry too much. Uh, so I have to ask, OU five and five, this is something, <laughs> I mean, since 1998 is kind of what we were just talking about with Eddie. You uh, have long been an OU hater. You've been an OU hater uh, oh, yeah. for since way before 1998. What has it been like for you to watch the school down south go five and five and just royally, royally struggle in the first year uh, of Brent Venable's tenure? I mean, I have to say it's it's one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> it, it, it has been really fun watching them and watching them fall apart. Uh, like they think they're going to win a game and then they just fall apart at the end and then they're all just, you know, losing it. Uh, it's 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 really been a joy because it, it was so funny because. They, they were like, oh, Venables is going to be our savior after Lincoln left. And they were so mad. And, and Venables is supposed to be this defensive guru. And man, their defense is bad. It's so bad. I mean, their, their, their team, there's no discipline. Just it's, it's bad. It's bad. I mean, I know a lot of their players left and things, but golly, it's, it's been fun to watch because they are really bad and I'm looking forward to Bedlam tomorrow. And I hope that I don't have to eat my words, but (laughs) it's been, it's been a fun season to watch. Yeah. It's been remarkable. I was just talking to Eddie about how like, you know, Brent Venables was hired. Okay. He's definitely at least going to get them disciplined and play sound football. And that's seemingly what they're the absolute worst at. They're even less disciplined than they were under Lincoln Riley. So that's been kind of interesting the way that's played out. I wanted to get more of your background, Kim. Like you've clearly, you clearly love Oklahoma state more than, more than most folks that I've ever met. And you've clearly passed it on to your son, Colby. Where did that passion for Oklahoma state come from? When do you, when did you start to either become a fan of OSU or get involved with it and, and maybe went to school there. Just how did your love of OSU form? It's it's funny. I did not go to school there. Uh, my husband went to school there and my son went to school there, but uh, my love for OSU started in middle school uh, when, when I kind of started going to high school football games and things and, and figuring out I, I like sports, but my family, you have to understand the family that I came from. None of my family went to college uh, but they were all these crazy, and when I mean crazy, I mean crazy bandwagon OU fans. Like they were the obnoxious, 
awful. My brother, especially, it was just awful every Saturday. And so I started being an OSU fan just to annoy my brother and my family, to be honest with you. And so <laughs> I started buying OSU clothes and I started rooting for them when they were on TV. And and then as I got into high school, my love just grew and I met more friends who liked OSU. And then um, my love just grew over the years. And yeah, it's crazy because it all started as just to be an annoyance to my family. But, but the love I have for this university and and the fact that I didn't actually go to school there, but when I go there, I'm an alumni family member, and um, I love that they let me do that. Uh, and I, I feel like family when I'm there. Uh, it's the university. It's it's not just a football program. That's what I love about Oklahoma State is just the university is a family group. It, it, it's not just about a football team. We we love everything about OSU. We love when our academics do great. We love when our tennis team does great and our cross country team wins the Big 12 championship and our golf team does good. And then our pros go on and, and do well and we follow them. It's just like a big family. So, so it just kind of started in a weird way. But yes, my love definitely, like, I mean, my truck is all custom done in OSU. When I plant flowers in the spring, I only plant orange flowers. Flowers. I mean, it's that bad that I, I won't even plant the orange Christmas tree we all saw last year. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, nothing, nothing red in this house. No red flowers. No red, no red anything. You won't see anything red yeah. around. Here, so, all right. I do want to ask you this one because I, I know that we have had conversations in the past about the way Mike Gundy, who is the greatest head coach in the history of Oklahoma State University, coaches. When it comes to Bedlam, it, it's like a switch flips uh, and it flips the wrong direction. Seemingly just time after time in Bedlam. I thought last year was better. I thought it was a big step up for Oklahoma State in terms of how Bedlam was coached. Is that a concern for you at all? Do you think he's gotten past that a little bit? I mean, Squinky and Gundy would be my two concerns uh, heading into tomorrow in Norman. So how do you feel uh, about Gundy and the way he coaches Bedlam? Gundy and Bedlam are always a concern. I'm really hoping that this year, since Kale is gone, that maybe that was some kind of a little family <laughs> dynamic that was weird or something. And maybe now that he's gone, then Mike will just go put the pedal to the metal and not let it off. I'm, I mean, I would like to to beat him 50 to zero. I mean, I we need to get out and get ahead. I And I, I think that's important. I want to get out 14 to nothing, 21 to nothing. I think it's important for us to get out and get ahead. Um, but I, I really just hope that he puts the hammer down and doesn't let up, uh, because that's always my concern with Gundy is if we do get ahead that, that he's going to take the, the, he's, he's going to take the gas pedal off and that is dangerous. We've all seen that happen a hundred times where we played not to lose. And so then we end up losing. So he's got to put the hammer down. He's got to keep it down. And um, I'm I'm really hoping that he doesn't have to go to Thanksgiving dinner next week and and have the conversations now that Kale's not there and maybe he'll just go and wipe them off the face of the map. I think he should put Kale in a in a or in an OSU polo on the sideline that stand, and just have him stand right next to him, kind of like a <laughs> kind of like in the Godfather Part Two. He had the family member come sit with him to intimidate everybody. Like I, I think you should put Kale in an OSU jacket down there on, on the sideline to get in. Uh, Venables' head, you know, there's some right? there's some real bad blood there, I think. Right. That might not be a bad idea. That might not be a bad idea. Yeah, and, and 
talking about Gundy, uh, when I came over to your house, we were still just baffled by the the logic of of benching Gunner Gundy for Rangel due to outside influences and all of the strange quarterback decisions he's made over the years. But just what was your take on on last week, Kim? With you know Spencer not clear to play, he comes in for a fourth down. Then he comes in and really saves the day. And just how do you how healthy do you think he is? Having watched him yourself, just it's been kind of a weird year for Spencer, and he certainly saved the day last week. I'm curious your take on that and, and then going into Bedlam. Yeah, it it you know, he came in for that fourth down. I think a lot of people don't realize um because they didn't kind of show it on TV, but Gunner's helmet came off. And so Gunner had to go out for that play. So Spencer had to come in for that one play. And I I saw glimpses from Gunner that were good, that long, beautiful pass downfield that was caught. For the touchdown, I mean, that was that was a beautiful pass. Uh, and so you saw glimpses of stuff there, but you could still see when Spencer came back in, the team really reacted to that. He is their leader. And, and man, we've got to do something about that before he leaves next year if he's leaving because um, we need some new leadership on that team. But I I hope that. I hope that Spencer's at least at 85 or 90 percent. I know last week in the game, I always have Robert Allen in my ear and and Dave and John in my ear at the games so I can kind of hear what's going on down on the sidelines. And I know Robert Allen was saying that they didn't want Spencer to get hit. And so that's kind of why they were calling plays they were calling. So I don't know if that was just to make sure he didn't re-injure it before this week or if it wasn't 100 percent. So I hope it's 100 percent. I hope he's going to be able to have a little bit of a run game tomorrow because that's going to help us a lot. So I think Spencer, even at 80 or 85% is better than anything. Oh, you can put on the field at a hundred percent. So that's where I'm at with that. I like it. I like it. All right. It is time. It is score prediction time. Uh, cold night tomorrow in Norman. So maybe you factor that in a little bit, but seven and three Oklahoma state five and five Oklahoma. Give us your score prediction. And, and I really do not want to be who makes them bowl eligible. Let me just make that clear. If we make them bowl eligible, I am going to be so angry. <laughs> and I really hope that we wear orange, 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 because I know how much their fans hate watching that game when we have on all orange. So I we want orange white. helmets. We, we, have or- to wear white. we have to wear white shirts. No, 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 no. That's yeah, not. They can't do color no. co- color on color unless they get like prior approval, I guess. Like because oh. USC and UCLA will both wear their home jerseys. I wish they could do that though. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would be cool. Well, orange helmets and orange pants then has we got to get the orange in there. But I guess my score prediction. I, I mean, I'm going to be a homer because that's what I am. I love I love OSU. But um, if if they come out and play good and Spencer's good and the defense plays good and and um, Jabbar Muhammad keeps up with a lot of man. He's been awesome this year with some some blocked passes and stuff. We're going to need him and Mason Cobb and hopefully Tyler Lacey's good. Uh, but I'm going to say 37-13 Oklahoma State. Ooh, blowout yeah. city. <laughs> and it's going to be a fun night at my house if it's if it, my prediction is right. We're we're going to have some really fun Saturday no night. Kidding. You need to like you need to like play the fight song for that neighbor next to you with that OU. You, Kim's yes. got a neighbor with a giant OU flag. I don't know how that that worked out, but you need to play some uh, Ride 'em Cowboys for that guy. Yeah, it's funny, and and here's what's funny is they only hang it out on game day, and then they take it down. And so I'm like, 
you know, what kind of fan are you if you don't leave your flag up all the time? I mean, my OSU They're stuff. probably awesome. worried you're going to burn right. it down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think they put it up on game day, and then if they win, they leave it up, and that's why you've seen them take it down every Sunday. Oh. Well, true, yeah. I did notice one game that they won. They did leave it up uh, that week, so you might be right about that. I, I try not to pay attention to it because it hurts my eyes to look over there and see it, but <laughs> that might be right. That's All right, the, uh, the game's at 6.30. What time will the snacks be ready so I know what time to get there? Snacks will be ready at 6.15. Uh, okay, I'll be there at 6. Okay. All right, so- thanks for joining us. Uh, have fun and see you tomorrow. You bet. Sounds good. Go Pokes. Thanks, Kim. All right, that's Kim Powell, that's uh, Colby's mom, the most passionate OSU fan I think I know now, Colby. I think she's taken the, the throne on the most passionate Oklahoma State fan that, that I've ever met. I think she's she's right up there. She is definitely uh, the most passionate Oklahoma State fan. I know we have a running joke that basically the way we watch the games is we sit there, um, she yells at the refs for doing something improper at Oklahoma State. I actually explained to her that that was, in fact, a penalty on Oklahoma State, and then we move on from there. And occasionally, whenever I agree with her that the refs, refs housed Oklahoma State, uh, then she gets excited. That's just that's kind of our, our routine, how we watch the games. Uh, she is definitely the biggest Oklahoma State fan I know, um, and I hope she's right. 37-13 would be an absolute blast at the Powell House. Yeah, that would be that would be a lot of fun. Uh, I asked her the reason how she got involved with Oklahoma State. Well, the reason I did was my dad Mike, who's now joining us on the podcast. Dad used to take me to the old Rustoleum Lewis Field. Practically grew up at Old Gallagher Iba, so he and I have watched many many OSU games together. And and Dad, I gotta say, going to the Bedlam game with you last year has to rank near the top. I think it's some of those old. Bedlam basketball games and old Gallagher that are near the top of the list, but last year's football game to, to dethrone them the way they did in that fashion and then go to the big 12 title game. That's something that uh, I'll always remember. That was a lot of fun. Uh, yes, it was. Can you hear me? Yep. I got you. Okay. Well, I, I kind of hit the wrong button and I thought I cut you off. You're good. Just what, uh, what do you remember about that game and, and what, why do you uh, agree that that was uh, such a fun experience? Well, it's only the second time I have witnessed a Bedlam victory in person. The first time I've ever witnessed one in Stillwater. So that made it very special. What year was, what year was Norman? I'm sorry. What year did you watch him win in Norman? 1976, the Terry Miller game. Ah, Terry Miller. Big. That's the, uh, the old's favorite player. I don't, I obviously don't remember that game. Was that, was that an upset? That was like, Switzer's first year, was it not? Was that right? I don't remember who was coaching OU, but we certainly weren't supposed to win. Uh, but uh, it's the only time I've ever been to a Bedlam game in Norman. But, uh, yeah, I was there for that game. I was a guest of my boss at the time who was a huge OU fan, and he invited my wife and I down, and uh, we won, and he's never invited us again. <laughs> uh, all right, Mike, let, let's dive into this team, the 2022 2022- iteration of Oklahoma State football. The last five weeks have really been a roller coaster, and I don't know what to make of it. Double overtime to TCU, fourth quarter comeback against Texas, 85-16 to 16 in back-to-back weeks in the state of Kansas, and then Spencer plays hero in the fourth quarter against Iowa State. What do you make of the, the route that Oklahoma State has taken to enter Bedlam at 7-3? and three? Because the last five weeks have been about as much of a roller coaster as I can remember being an Oklahoma State football fan. Uh, I would have to agree with that. It's been a uh, semi-disaster 
uh, and I really don't know what happened other than I do know what happened when Spencer didn't play, but uh, uh, I'm not sure what happened to our defense the last four or five weeks. Yeah, and like Dad, you and I talked about it. Like, I mean, they, they had real moments this year. You and I talked about like the second half against Texas Tech, the second half against Texas, and and we can all cite injuries and stuff. But on on defense, they're they lost Brennan Evers. That's a that's a loss. But for the most part, they've got all their studs back there, and they went from a defense that sure gave up some big plays early in in the season, but. When it came down to crunch time, they shut down Baylor, Texas, and, and Texas Tech, and some really good performances. And man, that 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 Kansas game that that had to feel like watching some some of uh, OSU's worst defenses from years past, did it not? Kansas or Kansas State? Both. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, even last year when our defense was so good. You know, we got torched a few times in the first half, but we always adjusted at halftime and, and just sh- shut everything down the second half. And we did that this year uh, for the first five games. But all of a sudden, you know, our halftime adjustments, adjustments aren't just, are just not working anymore. I mean, our defense is just getting blown up by not great offenses, just average offenses. Yeah, and, and this it, is... I was just going to say, this is an interesting matchup tomorrow uh, on both sides of the ball, but I think particularly whenever Oklahoma State has it, Mike, OU is just incapable of stopping the run. They, they've proven it time and time again. We're 10 games into the season. They can't stop the run. Oklahoma State has proven the opposite. They can't run the ball. I mean, maybe when Spencer's at, at full health and they can really get the quarterback run game going and some zone read stuff, it's better. But lately, the run game the past four, five, six weeks has been pretty atrocious for Oklahoma State. Do you have any kind of feel on on what gives there between Oklahoma State's rushing offense and OU's poor rushing defense? I think we'll run a little on them because their defense is not very good, but uh, I'm scared to death of what they're going to do to us in the running game. Uh, Eric Gray's he's a very good back, and uh, I'm afraid that uh, – we may not be able to stop him. And then if we kind of adjust a little and kind of load up to stop him, then we may get burnt on the backside. And I just, I don't have a good feeling at all about our defense in this game. Yeah, I, I can see that. And before we get to, I wanted to ask you about Mike Gundy's approach, but I, I asked him this question. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Like I, I know you went to college at Oklahoma state, you and mom both, yeah. but why, like, when did you, when did you become a fan of OSU? I don't think I've ever asked you this question. It's just kind of been a way of life for me that you, you followed OSU. You took me to games. But when did you well, kind my, of pick sides? Uh, I had no side whatsoever until my oldest sister uh, enrolled at Oklahoma State in 1966. My older brother enrolled in uh, 1969. And it was just kind of a given that that's where I was going to go. And that's where I went. I enrolled in 1971. Uh, and then my wife, your mom, obviously went there as well. And you went there. So, but yeah, it was kind of a family deal. My oldest yeah. sister started it and we just kind of kept going. That makes sense. And I'm, I'm glad you did. Um, so now, and you and I have bemoaned this for years and it's, it's become, you know, a talking point every single year about Mike Gundy's approach in Bedlam. And, and, 
I've mentioned earlier on the show that there's been games where he's, he's let it all hang out. The 2017 game with Baker and Mason and 2018 with Cornball. He, he, they, he pulled out all the stops. But there's been games like I referenced in 2020 with Spencer Sanders where they just came out in a shell. And this is a game that it seems like Mike kind of pops up and beats OU as a huge, huge underdog. But they have the better record. They certainly have the better quarterback when healthy. Just how do you kind of see OSU's approach offensively in this game? Are you, are you at all concerned about Mike kind of reverting back to that kind of shell thing, worrying about Spencer? I don't think so. I mean, I think he's seen how, and I don't want to say bad, but how much we struggle offensively if Spencer's not in there to where – if he's going to have Spencer starting out the game, I'm I, I'm hoping that he goes in there and just says, we're going to air it out and go. I mean, Spencer may last a quarter. He may last three quarters. I hope he lasts the whole game. But I just don't see him getting conservative this game. I don't see how that helps him at all in any way. Oh, no, I don't see how it helps him, but we've seen it happen. Uh, and it does worry me a little bit. I hope that that's not the case. Um, Spencer Sanders, obviously a great leader for Oklahoma State. I don't see that OU counterpart on the other side. The Oklahoma State fan base and its relationship with Spencer, I think, has been interesting in the, what, five years that he's been here. Uh, you know, freshman year, it's like, hey, he's got four games. Get him out there. Let's see what he's got. He doesn't get out there. He doesn't get to play. He, he gets out there. He leads the FBS in turnovers, 19 through 21. But the end of last year and then at times this year, he's just looked like an all-world guy that the rest of the team totally depends on to make everything work. So if I just asked you, Spencer Sanders' time at Oklahoma State, how would you evaluate it? Uh, I know the book's not completely written because obviously if he becomes a two-time Bedlam winner uh, and stuff like that coming off the injury, then that ups his his legend a little bit at Oklahoma State. But where we stand right now, how would you assess Spencer Sanders' time in Stillwater? I think he's been very successful. I'm I'm a Spencer Sanders fan. I love him uh, on our team. I, you know, I'd love for him to come back. I don't think he will, but uh, you know, he's. I don't know that I'd rank him the number one quarterback in, in Cowboy history, but he's he's pretty high on the dang list. I just wish he would stayed a little bit healthier. But you know, anytime you're a running quarterback, uh, that's going to happen. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm very happy with Spencer Sanders. I'm not a, I'm not a Sanders hater at all. Well, dad, before I get your prediction, I kind of called this like, uh, that old Seinfeld episode airing of grievances. You, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let you uh, have the floor for your airing of grievances. I'm assuming that'll be what logo they wear on their helmets on given weeks, but, uh, Oh, you know, that's my biggest gripe, but go ahead. Oh, like let's for the listener that doesn't get to see our text message exchanges all the time. I try to put some of them out there, but what is it about the like? What do you like to see on the helmet? What do you don't, don't like to see? Kind of give us your you know I've I've kind of become a uniform guru over the years. Kind of give us your thoughts on on what should be on the helmet, what you like versus what you don't. Well, I understand it's you know it's not 1971 when I was in college and things change and I'm I'm. I'm an OG, I think is what you call us. Uh, I just like a little bit of tradition. I like when I turn on my TV and I'm a, a football game comes on, I, I like to be able to tell who's playing without seeing the, uh, the banner at the bottom. And about the only way to do that is with the helmet. Uh, 
uh, I understand they're going to get weird with the pants and they're going to get weird with the jerseys. But I want to see a little bit of tradition in the helmet. I don't mind multiple colors. I like black the best. I like white the second best. I'm okay with orange. But all of this crap we put on our helmets, uh, you know, I can turn on an OSU game and not and, and not tell that they're even playing with some of that stuff. I want to see the brand. I don't mind the badge. I like the cursive, but I don't want to see anything else. Those three, as far as I'm concerned, are it. Uh, unfortunately, we have 15 other var- variations with Pistol Pete and Bucking Bronco Cowboy and I don't even know what some of those things are called. Uh, They're just outright strange, but that's where I'm coming from. I want to see the brand. I like the black helmets the best, but I can live with the cursive. I can live with the, the badge, but that's it. I I don't like anything else. Unfortunately for you, the badge is dead. It's not coming back. So you got, you got two options. You got cursive. Well, if the badge is dead, that's fine. Uh, uh, The cursive is okay. The badge is the best. You mean the brand? Or I'm sorry, the brand, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get that. All right, Dad, prediction time. I think you already, I think you already knew that, though. <laughs> prediction time. What do you, how do you see this game playing out? I know you've seen a lot of bedlams. You've seen, uh, you've seen victory snatched away in just, uh, just about every fashion. But um, it's a weird oh, yeah, year, Dad. Yeah. OU's 5-5 five and five and OSU's a 7.5-point underdog. It's kind of just a strange setup. Well, I feel better this year than I have in most bedlam years. Uh but there's so many things that can happen that can change what the final score is. I'm going to give a three-part prediction. Uh, If Spencer gets hurt in the first half, (laughs) uh, we're going to lose by probably three touchdowns, 24 points. If he gets hurt in the second half, maybe be within 10. My final, I'm going to honor the 2014 game in Norman. So last time we beat him in Norman, I'm going 38-35 pokes. But that's if Spencer plays the whole game. Yep, I love it. I, like I think it. that's right on. Dad, uh, appreciate their your time. Defense, their, their defense is as bad as ours. So <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, it could be interesting. Yeah, there's there's no wrong way to to dissect this game or predict this game, Dad. I think that's uh, good, and hopefully they uh, they channel the cheetah, Tyreek Hill, who is like the first ballot Hall of Famer, probably the best player in the NFL, is is like setting records, and and they were playing him at tailback at Oklahoma State. It just kind of hurts to watch him light it up, but he did light it up in 2014 for OSU. That is correct. That is correct. All right, Dad, love you. Appreciate you coming on, and. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully we can uh, hopefully we can celebrate after this one. Thanks, Mike. Uh, well, I wore my lucky uh, OSU hoodie that I wore last year to Bedlam to lunch today, so I'm I'm pulling out all the stops. I love it. That's perfect. <laughs> You're doing your part. You've done your I'm part. Doing. Now they got to go do theirs. Doing the best I can. All right, Dad. Appreciate it. Love you. All right. Talk soon. Kobe, be, be good, Kobe. All right, we'll do it. Thanks, Mike. All right. All right. That's my pops. Mike Cunningham, appreciate him coming on. And yeah, he, uh, Colby, I remember the, some of my earliest memories were going to old Lewis field, kind of walking up those ramps and, um, old Gallagher, you know, old Gallagher, we had season tickets and we were like the third row from the top 
back in old Gallagher, when they redid it, we were like, we were like the, in the luxury seats, you know, down in the hundred level compared to the nosebleeds that the new Gallagher has. So it's, uh, I attribute my, my love for OSU and, and the reason I went to school there to, to him. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. It, it's my parents for me too, for sure. Um, I remember going to, to Gallagher Iba, but more so was Lewis field for me when I was a kid, I think, uh, been to most home games in Stillwater since I was probably four or five years old. Uh, I remember pretty much growing up in the grassy area behind the bleachers that were in the West end zone. You had the bleachers and then behind them, it, it was very much like a high school stadium where you had the concession stands and then you had this open patch of grass. Uh, and that's where all the kids would gather to play pickup football or whatever we were doing back there. Uh, so yeah, when, when I was a kid going to the games, very much became a fan. Uh, my mom's brother that she talked about that was the annoying OU fan. Uh, he was my annoying uncle OU fan, which only further solidified me as an Oklahoma State fan because we would always get into it uh, every year on Thanksgiving about Bedlam. Uh, so, yeah, obviously we we all have a lot of love and, and ties to this university. Carson, it's I always get nervous for this game. Uh, I'm nervous for this game tomorrow, and I will probably be nervous until the clock hits triple zeros tomorrow night. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be nerve wracking. I think for both sides because both sides come into this game so shaky. I think that really adds another another layer of, you know, because you know, like last year, Colby, both teams, you know, top ten. Like, you know, you get you get the nervous feeling of this can be a big time game, and it's on you know our home field, and everything's right in front of us. You know, it's a different type of, of nerve wracking. But you're right. I, I certainly agree. I, I sent you the rundown earlier, and I, I want to go through these. Um, we call this the Megapod, so we'll we'll hang on here and, and break down this game and, and give our picks, uh, give our Chris's University Spirit uniform picks. Uh, Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Forgot to do the ad read at the beginning again. I usually do that on the YouTube show, but snuck it in there. We'll sync it in again for the uh, uniform predictions. But, Colby, your mom brought up something I really wanted to bring up to you is the, the Kale Gundy aspect of this, you know, Barry Trammell wrote a column about it this week. It's been a talking point all week. It's interesting because Kale and Mike have been, have coached and played in more bedlams than anyone else ever. It's just they're they're synonymous uh, with this rivalry. And and Kale's been involved with almost more OU football wins than any other person in history. And they're brothers. And I thought Mike really opened up about it this week more so than he ever has because in past press conferences over the years. When he was asked about, you know, hey, it's Thanksgiving, Bedlam's coming up. He, he, he basically would always say, well, well, me and Kale don't talk. Me and Kale don't talk. We don't really talk. Uh, anyways, we certainly don't talk about Bedlam at the table. Mom never let that. But he really kind of opened up and told us the real truth and that they talk all the time. They're really close. I think they've been talking more after what occurred with him. But um, I, I just feel like it's an interesting storyline with Kale still attending games in Norman and who knows, Colby, like if if Casey Dunn were to be let go, I don't think that's going to happen. But I, I certainly think there's a chance that that Kale might end up on Mike Gundy's staff, which entering this year, that that certainly seemed like crazy talk. But I don't I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. And he's a really good coach. Yeah, no, he is a really good coach. It's uh, I don't think that we will ever know the full story of what happened down in Norman around his departure. There were a lot of rumors. And um, I mean. Yeah, you just kind of leave it at that. I don't think we'll, that we'll ever know the full truth because we weren't in the room. Um, now, was he a good football coach down there for a long time? Yes, he was. I, I don't know how that works in Stillwater. Mixing business and family uh, can be a little bit tricky. Uh, I don't know. When, when have we seen that recently in Stillwater, Carson? Mixing business and family can get a little bit tricky. We saw it with Gunner. I don't know if we'll see it with Kale. But uh, I did think that a lot of what Gundy said earlier in the week 
was insightful into, you know, him talking about uh, he and Kale, him taking the little shot at Feinbaum. It just, um, I thought he was peak press conference Mike Gundy on Monday uh, where he's just open and honest and, and just seems like a person up there uh, kind of having a conversation with all the media. His, his pressers can oftentimes get very conversational uh, whenever he's in a good mood. And I felt a lot of that on Monday. So uh, I don't know what that means. We try to connect dots on, on what his mood at the presser means to uh, how he's going to coach in the game tomorrow night. There probably aren't any there to connect, but I, I liked the way he was speaking on Monday. Uh, he sounded calm. He sounded confident. Hopefully the team feeds off that. Yeah, I, I hope so. And that's, that certainly adds another layer of drama. Uh, I'm sure Kale will want to stay out of the scenes because he I don't think he wants to be a talking point during the broadcast on, on national TV, but it is interesting. And, and uh, he took over as the OC for OU in the bowl game last year when they just trounced Oregon. I thought he, he called better game. I thought than than Lincoln Riley did in terms of running the football and, and OU looked really good under, under his watch when he got to call some, some plays. So that that's an interesting storyline and uh, pistols firing. They had the top five plays of the uh, bedlam of top five bedlam plays of the Mike Gundy era. I was curious to get your thoughts on on the list, Colby. And before we kind of run down the list, just do you have one that sticks out in your mind that that that's always kind of been your favorite? Uh, you, did you say a Gundy memory? Yeah, just the top five plays of the Gundy era. I mean, I think we you know we could go to top plays of any era if you want to, but I think Gundy's era has been so long now that we can we can stick to that. Or, or if you have another one, just what what comes to mind when you think of your favorite uh, Bedlam play? Favorite Bedlam play um, pre-Gundy era was the fade to the end zone to Rashawn. Uh, that was one of my earliest Bedlam, Bedlam memories as a child and one of the very few positive Bedlam memories that I had as a child. Uh, but Gundy era 2011 was great, but I don't know that there was a moment, a play in that game. The play, the one play that you circle in Bedlam in Mike Gundy's tenure. Uh, I mean, they've only won the game three times. So unless you're going last year, I'm going to go a little further back. I mean, Carson, it's the punt return. Like that was Bob Stoops accepting it, moving it back. Uh, and OU looking just totally discombobulated. And, and Carson, OSU didn't win the game on the punt return. They decided to go beat them in overtime. They did that with what was an inferior team. Uh, there were a lot of rumors about whether Mike Gundy's tenure at Oklahoma State would would. Kicked back up in 2015. Uh, that game quieted a lot of those. They kept the bowl streak alive. They went and won the bowl game uh, and got a lot of pos- positive momentum looking toward the future. So uh, probably Tyreek's putt return for me. There there were some plays in that game last year, though, uh, that I could certainly put near the top of the list. Yeah, I think um, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking of mine. And I, I think getting to watch, like me and my dad haven't got to watch very many Bedlam games together since I moved away for college because, you know, I was always working them in television. Uh, certainly when I was younger, I always had a soccer tournament seemingly on those weekends. So I think last year, the kick return, the way that game started, Colby, like OU was making plays, OSU was just doing everything they could in that first half to, to, to let OU back in the game. And then that kick return happened and my dad has never been a, a yeller and screamer during games. He's kind of the opposite of your mom. He's just very quiet, very somber. That doesn't, you know, he'll get fired up during like a timeout when when Eddie's teams were rolling or certain moments he'll get up and and we'll both kind of get into it. That was a moment where we both stood up and were you know fist pumping, and that's one that I'll I'll never forget. I think it immediately leaped uh, to to the top, and certainly. Watching the Rashawn fade, uh, I was watching it at my friend Chase Thomas's house across the street with all OU people. He's an OU fan. All of his close friends were OU fans, his parents. 
and I was just hanging out with them during the day and I ended up just watching the game over there. They literally, when, when Rashawn caught the touchdown pass, I ran outside the house, like screaming to go celebrate with my dad. Cause like once I was, she was like in the game, like I can't leave and go watch with my dad. I got to stay exactly where I am. Kind of like him wearing the hoodie. And they, uh, they literally locked the door on me, Colby, and wouldn't let me back in the house. So I just, I just went home and hung out with dad after that. That's hilarious. That's so great. Uh, I remember the, uh, Tyreek punt return. I was in college. That was my, what would that have been? Junior year? Uh, no, that would have been senior year. Fall of, of my senior year. Um, whenever the Tyreek punt return happened, me and some buddies were watching it at my wife and I's apartment there in Stillwater. And uh, we almost knocked the TV over. We, we took off running outside. We were screaming. It was some next level celebration stuff. Because it was one of those moments where you feel like you're cooked. You feel like it's over. And then just something miraculous happens that you know you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Uh, it, it was definitely that one. Now, last year, Carson, I mean, I, I think in 10 years, we'll still be remembering the Brennan kick return. Uh, and I think we'll still be remembering the Colin Oliver sack on Caleb Williams. So uh, I think that those two will be way, way up there as well. Yeah, they're they're on the list. Uh, number one is the Landry Jones tipped pick came in a loss, but we all remember the Broderick Brown just crazy diving out of bounds, tips it to Sean Lewis. Then Ryan Broyles just gets absolutely decleated on the play. It was just that that won an ESPY award for top play of the year. It was so improbable. That one makes the list, and, and I think rightfully so, even in a loss. This one's kind of under the radar. It's it's 2011. You mentioned the, the lack of. Big plays on offense, they kind of just ran the ball down OU's throat, but they had two big defensive plays. First one is Jamie Blatnick's scoop and nearly score. I believe Alex Elkins blew up Landry Jones, and Blatnick gets tackled on like the one-yard line, led to a uh, you know a Joe Randall or Jeremy Smith one-yard touchdown. But I, I wanted Blatnick to score so bad because he was so great on that 2011 team. Really a, a guy that you know, kind of was one of the leaders on the defense and certainly on the defensive line. We got after quarterbacks and he was a big, big, like we always talk about Whedon and Blackman and rightfully so, but guys like Jamie Blatnick on defense and Markel Martin and those guys and Alex Elkins doesn't get enough credit either. I thought he was a really good linebacker. Jamie Blatnick is one of the best players on, on that team and he almost scored a touchdown on that play. Yeah, he did. That was big time. Uh, those were a lot of fun. It, it's just, Carson, I couldn't throw any in there from the losses. The The interception probably deserves to be there because it was so special and iconic. And uh, I think it got nominated for an ESPY for best play, which it should have because I it don't want it. It did win the ESPY? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and it, it should have, right? I mean, I don't know that I had seen that up to that point, and I don't know that I've seen it since. So uh, I struggle to put any from losses in there, but if I had to, the, the tipped interception would be it. Yeah, and then uh, Landry Jones, uh, the whiff where he, like, fumbled it he like tried to attempt to pass and the ball came out of his hands and Rashetti Jones just picked yep. it up and scored in 2011 that made the list the Tyreek Hill punt return obviously made the list you mentioned and, and Brennan Presley so that's kind of the and then Colin Oliver sack in, in, in uh, last year's game so last year's game Colby I mean provided a, a ton I mean he had the Colin Oliver game ceiling sack the 100 yard kick return and you know Gunny's coach for 18 years to have two plays from just last year shows you just what a what a big win that was last year yeah, no, it absolutely was. Uh, another play from last year that probably uh, because OU had the three timeouts and got the ball back, people won't remember it as much as the Colin Oliver sack. But man, Devin Harper chasing Caleb Williams down from behind on fourth and 10 on the previous drive. That's another one that will stand in my memory for a long time. I hate that OU had the three timeouts because now that one gets overshadowed by the Colin Oliver sack. Uh, both equally phenomenal in my mind, both game-saving uh, and potentially game-ending plays. So uh, that's another one that, that will be very high on the list for me. Yep, we'll see what plays are made in the 22 
2022 edition. All right, Colby, let's break this game down. Uh, three burning questions on pistolsfiringblog.com right now by Kyle Cox. I think that's a really good way to kind of get into this game. We mentioned it with Eddie, just can OSU slow down Eric Gray? I mean, he's got 1,100 yards this year. Again, he, I thought he was really soft in the early part of this year and definitely last year where he just didn't seem to be an inside the tackles running back. Anytime at the first sign of contact, he was going down and he's really evolved into probably, you know, definitely one of the best backs in the big 12 and one of the best backs in the country. And that's kind of the, where the scales are tipped in this matchup. Colby is they're pretty even. You mentioned with Eddie, the OSU's lack of a running game versus OU's lack of a run stopping game. But this is one area I feel like OU has a distinct advantage. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Eric Gray's a phenomenal player. He's been good lately. Uh, went for more than 200 last week against West Virginia. To have an individual back go for more than 200 yards uh, and be unable to win in Morgantown, I-, I think says a lot about the rest of this offense. They struggle to get the ball in the end zone. They just... Eric Gray has been so good, yet the offense as a whole uh, has struggled. And a lot of that, you don't have the elite quarterback play that they've had. Caleb Williams, elite. Uh, Jalen Hurts, elite. Same with Kyler. Same with Baker. Uh, You know, I I just think that there's been a big drop-off there, almost to the point, Carson, where it's like Oklahoma State, load the box, man. Stop Eric Gray. Load the box. Stop Eric Gray. If Dylan Gabriel and and Jaleel Farouk and Theo Weiss beat you, whoever's healthy out there, receiver for OU, Drake Stoops, Okay, I, I can live with it. Um, Eric Gray is the best player on that team. I think that they're going to lean on him on a cold night in Norman. Uh, and I think Derek Mason and and Oklahoma State will be ready for that. I think Oklahoma State's defense is as healthy as it's been in a while. We saw last week Brock Martin back out there making some plays. Jason Taylor, uh, those guys are back are banged up. I said earlier in the week it it, it feels like they're. They just look like they're in pain every time they step up off the turf. Um, but, yeah, getting guys healthy on the defensive line. Ben Kapinski, fourth quarter Ben, was back in action last week. Colin Oliver was getting after the passer last week. So, uh, I think Oklahoma State's as healthy as they've been in a while defensively. And I, I like the idea of playing aggressively, uh, which means some guys on the back end are going to have to hold up in one-to-one situations uh, and things like that. But uh, I think that they're good enough to do that, particularly Jabbar Muhammad, Corey Black. Uh, I think both those guys were good last week against what I will admit is not a great Iowa State offense, but this is not a great Oklahoma offense. Uh, and I think Oklahoma State will have uh, some success defensively. I don't think it's going to be a shutout. I don't think they're going to get five turnovers, uh, but I do expect Oklahoma State to look competent defensively. I don't think this is going to be Kansas State week. I don't think this is going to be Kansas week uh, where where the defense looks like a wet paper bag. I expect this defense to play a little bit tomorrow, Carson. I'm, I'm probably a little more optimistic than I would have thought about the defense, and I think some of that is just them seemingly getting a little bit healthier at the right time. And it certainly feels like Derek Mason's realized that he has to throw some caution to the wind here and get after the quarterback. They did that to Deckers in Iowa State last week to great success. That, that won them the game. They forced five turnovers and OSU's offense could do very little. And I, I think I think he was really cognizant of of not hanging out Jabbar Muhammad and Corey Black and those guys on the back end to dry because they gave up some deep balls uh, really throughout the first portion of the year. And I think he finally has realized that you have to just pressure the quarterback and good things will happen. Now, by no means is OU's offense as bad as Iowa State's. I mean, Iowa State's is terrible. But worst running game than Oklahoma State's, if you can believe that. And we saw that. But, I mean, Dylan Gabriel was pressured against West Virginia. It it ended up being his worst QBR rating of his career because he was sacked three times. I think, Colby, you just have to just trust those secondary guys who made some big plays on the back end last week as well. 
uh, with some past breakups and, and you mentioned it like Marvin Mims came into this year as like an all everything emerging star. He's never quite caught that many balls. He's never caught more than 35 balls in a season, but everyone's just seen the talent. They've seen those few plays where he's busted it loose. And I think it's a situation Colby where it just kind of is who he is. He doesn't get the ball enough because he doesn't demand it enough. And he certainly has had the drops lately as well. So I think this is by far for me, the biggest key is getting after Gabriel for the defense. You gotta, you gotta throw caution to the wind Colby. Yeah, I think so too, because if you can make him uncomfortable, he'll make mistakes. He's shown that, um, man, he, he gets rattled. The overthrows are there and Carson, you know, who loves a good overthrow, don't you? Our boy, Jason Taylor. I mean, Jason Taylor's got to get a pick tomorrow, right? Dylan Gabriel's going to overthrow somebody and Jason Taylor's going to be standing there. It feels, it feels like fate. Well, I mean, Gabriel's got to put the ball in play, and I think Jason Taylor will find the nose for the football. <laughs> I think he's that good. I think it doesn't even have to be an overthrow. I think he could just read him and and take it. But, no, I, I think you're right. Like, And, look, and Eddie's been beating this drum all year. Like, for the OU fans, they get upset at Gabriel and blame him for losses. And, and we all certainly understand they've had Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. But I watched that West Virginia game in the first half, Colby. He was missing guys – just wide open. He was throwing it to the wrong receiver who was covered when there's another guy open. He's not a good quarterback. And, and people have been trumpeting the stats this week about how the, his stats are almost identical with Spencer Sanders. And that's fine. And he's, he's put up some numbers this year in some games, right? And so he's not just a terrible quarterback. That's not what I'm saying, but he's a, he's a, he's a liability. And if you're relying on him to make some, some, you know, just game winning type throws, I don't think he's capable, which kind of furthers your narrative of stack the box. And if Jalil Farouk and Marvin Mims and, and Braden Willis are getting, they might get, they might beat you. I mean, they're, they're talented enough to do that, but I would certainly take my chances w- with them versus Eric Gray and that offensive line. That's played really well at times. I know their center, Andrew Rame, he's a game time decision. He may not play. That would be huge for OSU's defense. If he does not, because their backup, Robert Conjol is, He's okay, but he's not Andrew Rain. And so they have some injury questions too, Colby, up front. But but yeah, this is not this is not Caleb Williams, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Baker Mayfield we're talking about here. Not even close. And another question, speaking of quarterbacks, Colby, is the health of Spencer Sanders. I think it's by far the biggest question entering this game. If we knew for a certainty that he was starting in 100%, I think it totally flips how this game is viewed by everyone. But we don't know that. We we all think he's going to play. He's probably going to start, but we don't know how much he's going to hold up. And I think that by far is the biggest question in this game, Cole, because I, I am curious how they're going to utilize him. You said it, they need to cut him loose. If he's playing, you got to play him. And I, I think that's right because as my dad and Eddie were talking about, they're going to have some success running the football, but Colby, I think the way they win this game is with Spencer's legs. You look at last week, the the green kid, the quarterback for West Virginia, literally incapable of throwing a football. He just ran it the whole time and, and did basically whatever he wanted with his legs. Uh, I think Spencer's injury is mostly upper body. So even more reason to run him. And I know you're, you're risking his shoulder and whatever's going on up there by running him, but uh, you just, you, you can't play scared if you're out there. That's, that's no way to play football. And I don't think he would, but that by, this is by far the biggest question entering this matchup. 
No, I think so too. And uh, again, if he's out there, you have to let him be Spencer. Now, does that mean let him do what Green did last week for West Virginia? Probably not, because like you said, that kid couldn't throw a football. He was just running at every snap. You don't want Spencer running at every snap because the last thing you want is for him to go out in the middle of the first quarter because he's already taken 10 hits. But over the course of four quarters, can he take 10 hits, 15 hits? I, I think he's going to have to if Oklahoma State's going to do what they need to do offensively in Norman tomorrow. And I think that late in the game, Carson, if it gets late and it's close and you really have a chance to ice it away, I think that's whenever you have to trust him. I, I just, man, I hope that we don't wind up in a situation like last week where the defense is just asked to do so much all game long and they do it. And then you ask them to do it again because you're scared to go get a first down. I, I, I just, man, I hope that we don't have to live with that because that is the worst possible thing that could happen for Oklahoma state is that they get conservative late in the fourth quarter. And it bites them the one week of the year that you can't have that happen. Uh, because like we said, Carson Bedlam's it's fixing to go away. And every single one of these matters in terms of trash talk for both fan bases as OU heads to the SEC, uh, narrative surrounding both schools as OU heads to the SEC. Um, I, I think that every single one of these games is important. I told you last week or a couple of weeks ago, I refuse to accept uh, that these teams are just playing meaningless football games the rest of the way. This is a, a seriously meaningful football game tomorrow in Norman for both sides. Um, and Spencer Sanders is a big part of whether Oklahoma State's going to come out on top. Um, you know, I, I trust in Spencer. He said last week he's too competitive to just shut it down. I expect him to to get out there uh, and be Spencer Sanders because he truly is one of the greatest competitors uh, and one of the toughest competitors we've seen, especially at that position in Oklahoma State history. So uh, I'm trusting Spencer to go out there and be the guy. I hope that he has that same trust from his offensive coaching staff, uh, and I think he will. I, I think that they know he's the guy. I think he, they know that he needs to lead them to victory. I think they'll trust him to go out and do what needs to be done. Well, I think that's right. And so that, that kind of sets up it all up for us, Colby. Um, man, this is one of the harder Bedlam games for me to predict. I, I can see it both sides. I can see both narratives. I can see it playing out a lot of different ways. But, but how do you see it? And, uh, and give me your score. Yeah, I'm looking at this game. I'm looking at the line, both teams throughout the season. Carson, Oklahoma State is the better football team. Oklahoma State should go down and, and be able to do more than what Oklahoma is able to do. We've seen in Bedlam in years past that for whatever reason, you know, call it squinky, uh, call it Gundy, whatever you want to call it. It just seems to always get tight. That being said, OU is not normally five and five. OU doesn't normally have a quarterback that I get excited whenever I see him drop back. Every time they hand it off, uh, that's when I'm worried. Every time they drop back, I think that's an opportunity for Oklahoma State to make a play defensively. Uh, Spencer is going to be out there. That's kind of really all I needed to know. If Spencer's out there uh, and he plays four quarters, Oklahoma State is the better football team. And I think they're the better football team by a decent margin. Uh, I think this OU defense is, is terrible. I think Oklahoma State, while I don't think that they're going to run for 300 yards and go crazy, I think it's going to be a much better rushing performance from Oklahoma State because OU uh, just can't stop anybody in that phase. Carson, I am riding with the Cowboys in a big, big way, 37 to 20 tomorrow night in Norman. I think they're the better team. I think they get a touchdown in the fourth quarter to make the margin of victory look wider than the game actually was. I think it's a 10-point game most of the way. Oklahoma State scores with five or six minutes left uh, and wins it 37 to 20. I think they're a much better team. I think OU is completely in disarray, uh, and I don't want to overthink it. I I'm taking the better team to win in resounding fashion tomorrow night. Sounds like your mom's prediction. Didn't she predict like 
She, she went 37-13, and I'm already sitting here with 37-20 on my sheet, and I'm like, all right, here we go. Now now we're close on our score predictions. And you are definitely her child, aren't you? Uh, the apple falls so close to the tree, you can't even believe it. No, I mean, I, I think that's the – in order for that scenario to happen, right, like Spencer plays, plays well, and, and is healthy throughout. That, that's the only way that happens, right? Yeah, that's, that is four quarters – of Spencer Sanders being Spencer Sanders, uh, but that is what I think we're getting. Yeah, and earlier this week, you know, I was not liking the way this game matched up for OSU. I just, I could not get it, Eric Gray and OU actually being able to run the football versus Oklahoma State not being able to out of my head. Uh, the questions surrounding Spencer, I mean, he just came in and played, you know, at the very end against Iowa State. I question how healthy he still is. I think he was mostly talking big early early part of this week. But the more this week's played out, that's all well and good. But at this point, you have to use logic and what you've seen all year. And what I've seen all year out of Oklahoma State is, yeah, they, they got flat-out embarrassed in the state of Kansas. We all know that. But they've shown, and, and they, they lost a game against TCU in which had Mike Gundy gone for two, maybe they had won. But in other areas, they've shown the ability to win close games. Texas, Texas Tech, Iowa State just last week. And Oklahoma has shown that they know how to lose games when they get tight, when the going gets tough. They, they've invented ways to lose. So the only reason you'd be picking Oklahoma in this game is squinky. Uh, Mike Gundy settling for field goals on, on fourth and one on the 10-yard line or you know things of that nature. But I can't do it. I mean, Oklahoma State, yes, they struggled on the football. I think Spencer, as he did early part of this year, that's nothing new. But the early part with Spencer, his ability to run the football ignites that offense. And they were one of the top five scoring offenses in the country when he was healthy. I think he's healthy enough to beat Oklahoma. I think this defense, whatever happened in the state of Kansas – I don't think we're ever going to understand what happened. I think they, I thought they quit against the Jayhawks. They certainly quit against K-State once they realized they weren't going to score. But they're more talented than they've shown. And I think OU's kind of shown who they are defensively. They they wilt in the biggest moments, third downs especially. OU's been pretty good on third downs this year. I just think throw out the history, throw out Mike Gundy's sketchy record in this game. I, I'm – I'm terrified of his approach and Casey Dunn's. I think they think they're the better team, and that has always spelled disaster. That's always spelled, let's just not screw it up, 2013 being the worst-case scenario of that. Um, Mike tends to worry about the elements and the cold and the rain. That gets to his head sometimes. I'm thinking 2016 in Norman with Mason Rudolph. Didn't even allow him to throw it deep to, to Washington. So as I'm talking, I'm getting nervous, Colby, but OSU's the better team. They have the better players. Jaden Bray is going to be back for this game, apparently. Robert Allen was talking on the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast that you know, he rebroke his thumb and didn't tell anybody the game he came back for. But it's been a quicker healing process, supposedly. So I think I think OSU's getting healthier at the right time, not only at quarterback, but in some other areas. And they're the better team. So I, I don't think it's going to be the, the knockdown, dragout shootout that everyone's predicting in the high 30s. I just I think this is going to be a lot sloppier offensive performance from both teams. And I think the defenses will – that'll help them. But I think it's more so tight game, sloppy, cold performance uh, type game. So I'm going to go Oklahoma State 
I'm going to go Oklahoma State 27, Oklahoma 24. I think it's okay. close. I think OSU's up by double digits most of the game. Gundy sits on the lead like he did against TCU. And OU kind of creeps back into it, and we're all sitting around going, are they going to lose this game? And and they, they hold them off and win by three. That's how, how I see it going. I just – Carson, I, I am maybe overvaluing this too much, but – Last week, when Spencer Sanders came in, late third, early fourth quarter, you just saw the shift in OSU's mentality and the demeanor. It's like people were blocking hard. Receivers were running harder. Uh, guys were tackling harder. It's like they they went out there uh, and all hope seemed lost. And then there comes Spencer. Here we go. And then after the game, you know, he was clearly beat up out there last week playing. After the game, they asked him if he's playing for Bedlam. Absolutely. 100%. I'm playing Bedlam. Asked if he had any, any thoughts about shutting it down. No, no, no too competitive. That's not me. Guys feed off that stuff. And I think that they are just feeding off of Spencer Sanders right now. Uh, and and I, I think that that dog, I, I think that that translates and it carries over to some of those other guys, some of those young guys. Uh, and, and I think Oklahoma State's the team with that dog in it tomorrow night. And I think that's what matters. So uh, uniform predictions, Carson, are we ready to go there? Yep. Brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. You know where to shop in Stillville, and it's Chris's University Spirit. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod. This uniform preview brought to you by Chris's. Uh, what are you going with, Colby? Everyone's kind of pegged the uh, the look they wore against Notre Dame. They've worn black, white, orange the last several trips to Norman. They wore the uh, that version with the Curse of Cowboys in the bowl game last year. I think that's our man. Justin Southwell's prediction. So there's there's somewhat of a consensus building, but I'm curious if you're going off the board. I am going off the board. There's a lot of black, white, orange with Curse of Cowboys. Uh, I think that that's going to be pretty close. I think they're going to go black, white, white with Curse of Cowboys. Uh, mix it up a little bit. The tricolor, it's just been one after another down there in Norman. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. They went tricolor a few weeks ago in Manhattan, no? Um. Yes, they did. I believe so. I'm almost certain that they did go tricolor in Manhattan. So I think that they stay away from the tricolor uh, and go black, white, white with the Curse of Cowboys, which I think would be a very clean look. So, uh, yeah, that, that's what I'm going with. Black, white, white, Curse of Cowboys. I like that. I, I Look, black, white, orange is my favorite road look by far. I, I love it. I think it's the most OSU look you could possibly have. It's the best elements uh, that they have in being the black helmet, the orange pants. I think those are two, their two best by far uh, accessories. Um, but I, I got to go off the board too. I, I kind of like where your mom's head's at. I think they want to rub some orange in those Sooners' faces for one last time in Norman. Uh, I think they'll have another game in Norman too because they got to play through 2024. But I think they might go orange, white, orange, start something new, fresh. Uh, I'll go with that with Curse of Cowboys, orange, white, orange. Not my favorite look, but it just – it singes the eyes of those in Norman. And I think that might be the reasoning there. Um, but that man, they, I think, I think it'll ultimately be black, white, orange. I'm mainly doing this just to be different because they've had a lot of success in it lately playing Oklahoma and certainly in the bowl game. So I think that's where they're going with it. I'll go, I'll go orange, white, orange, potential dark horse, black, white, black with the curse of Cowboys. We may see that, but I think we'll go orange, white, orange. Yeah, I like it. I don't think there's really a bad combination that they can hit up and still, uh, pardon me, in Norman tomorrow night. Um, Carson, I, I picked you like to see a. Wouldn't you like to see a color versus color like your mom predicted? Like, <sighs> is that too? Are they too similar of colors? Maybe maybe black versus all black versus all crimson. Yeah, maybe all black versus all crimson. I 
crimson and orange to me, that would be an ugly looking color rush. I just don't think that would look good at all. Um, I think any solid look that Oklahoma State would throw together, uh, aside from the all oranges, maybe an all white or an all black, I think would look good. But I don't know. I think I'm out on the the crimson versus the orange. I think that would look a little a little Microsoft Word art, if you see what I mean there. Yeah, I think you got to go all black versus all all crimson, or or just you know. You got to go like that more so than orange and red. I'm, I'm with you. I think those two blend together. All right. What were you saying before I cut you off? I, I was just saying, you know, I picked Oklahoma State to win 37 to 20. I, I think Spencer's going to play four quarters. I think he's going to look like Spencer. I, I, I do think, Carson, when we talk about the coaching, I think it's a big day tomorrow for Mike Gundy and Casey Dunn. It, it's year one for Derek Mason. You know, don't go get torched, but pardon me. I don't think that the, uh, the light is shining quite as bright at Derek Mason as it is at Casey Dunn at this point, tomorrow is the day when you let it all hang out tomorrow is, and and I'm not saying I have no idea what, what his job status is, how safe he is for next year and beyond. Uh, But, but you want to convince a fan base that's very much on the fence and, and might not be leaning your direction right now that you can do this job and that you are the man for this job tomorrow's the day to let it all hang out. That play we saw last week where you, you fake everybody like Spencer's going to run, you pop it over the top to Jaden Nixon, he's wide open, get guys into space, make the defense think. Even the play last night, I'm watching Thursday Night Football, and I'm like, oh my God, Oklahoma State could do that with Dominic Richardson. Tennessee just lines up, hands it off to Derrick Henry, just like they've done all game. Everybody thinks he's going to try to plow his way into the end zone. He just pops up behind the center and throws a touchdown pass to Austin Hooper. Let it all hang out out you want to buy back the goodwill of the fan base you do it tomorrow in norman don't wait until the following week against west virginia because nobody's going to care and you're not going to get the credit don't wait until the bowl game because then we're all just going to say oh here comes the bowl game play calling again whenever it doesn't matter and you're not competing for the conference title anymore tomorrow is the day for the offensive staff to let it all hang out i know we say that uh, a, a lot going into bedlam and it doesn't often happen but the way this season has progressed the way the offense looks has just looked so inept the past three weeks. You've just got to go let it all hang out tomorrow. Uh, I am hopeful that the offensive staff will do that because I think that, that they know that if they're at their best tomorrow, it buys a ton of goodwill with this fan base uh, as we inch closer and closer to the offseason. Oh, I'm, I'm completely with you, and I've said it for years. Like, Colby, OSU fans can handle losing OU. Like, fl- frankly, we're used to it. But what we, what we will not stand for is you tucking your tail and just taking a beating and just taking your ball and going home like Mike Mike and his staff have done for for many years, several years. And I think, and, and people can listen to this and say that doesn't matter and, you know, Casey Dunn's job stats won't be determined by that. You want to bet? What do you think Casey Shrum and Chad Weiberg are talking about when they're watching the game? They're sitting there going, we're not even trying to win this game. Like, we're just, we're just playing not to lose. And those are the decision makers. And and Mike's talked a long time since they've been hired. He has a great relationship with those folks. But I'm sorry. The, the university's bottom line depends on football and winning. And Mike's been the reason for that, no doubt. But those are his bosses. And they will tell him he needs to make a change if that continues. And I'm not sitting here saying that Casey Dunn's job's on the line on Saturday. But perception matters. And I'm totally with you. And again... That's all we want to see. If if you try those plays you mentioned, Colby, and they don't work, fine. At least you didn't try to run inside zone again for the twelfth time on third and one and not work. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm totally with you there. And 
I think that's what we're going to see, Colby. Again, I, I'll, I'll hammer it one more time. More pre-snap, pre-snap motion. OSU is easier to read than a children's book on offense. More flat passes to Brennan Presley, who is going to make the first guy miss. These are not hard. Con- John Paul Richardson will catch anything you throw in his zip code. These are not hard concepts. I think Jaden Bray is going to surprise some people on Saturday. Uh, get your ball, get the ball in your playmaker's hands and don't try to pound your head against a brick wall that is your own offensive line getting run over by their defensive line. Colby, their offensive line is not very good. We know this. So don't, don't try to force it. Don't try to make something happen that's not there. I think that's gotten them into trouble over the years as well. No, you're absolutely right. It's uh, there's a lot that goes into to winning big time games, and we'll see if Oklahoma State has what it takes to get it done tomorrow night. I am, I am exceptionally invested in this game, Carson. It's just to to keep OU to to make them under 500 in November. I mean, when's the last time they were under 500 in November? Was it 98? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're the team 128 is now since 1998. Team since 1998. So yeah, they that's the last time. Yeah, you just I, I just don't think that you can have OU out here losing to everybody in the conference except Iowa State and Kansas, and then you go down there and lose Bedlam whenever you've got a pretty good team. Again, not great. Uh, they've suffered some injuries. They've lost some depth, and uh, they've looked poor at times. They've also looked really good at times. So uh, I just you, – you've got to go win this game. I'm incredibly invested, Carson. I uh, The next 20 – what do we have, 28 hours uh, from when we're recording this until the game kicks? It's going to be a long 28 hours just waiting uh, for – total leather and, and let's get going so uh i can't wait for saturday night to get here yep me either i hope everyone enjoyed the uh mega pod again special thanks to eddie radosovich for joining the show uh mike my dad and, and kim your mom that was that was a lot of fun colby and and uh it'll be a late night on saturday i imagine we'll we'll tape our uh, post game pod at noon again on sunday uh sounds like a good plan to me hopefully we are uh, talking about all the fun things, Carson, like we did last year after Bedlam. That was a fun pod. I would love to do something similar this Sunday. Yep, I'm with you. So, again, thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll we'll see you guys on, on Sunday at noon. Colby, I'll let you sign off with your typical tagline. Absolutely. Uh, Bedlam, tomorrow night. Everyone enjoy. We are back Sunday at noon. Come join us, uh, whether we are mourning the loss of Bedlam or celebrating yet another victory and a winning streak, a two-game winning streak potentially in Bedlam, uh, setting up the chances to go out on a winning streak, depending on what happens with Oklahoma and the SEC. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're back Sunday. Enjoy Bedlam. Go Pokes.